As the story goes, the pastor stood up one Sunday and preached the most excellent sermon. In fact, it was so good that everyone leaving uh, the church house, he was standing in the back, and as they were leaving, they said, that was the best sermon we've heard you preach in, in a long time. It's most excellent. Thank you so much. And the next person would come up and say something very similar as they all piled out. The next week, they came back. The pastor went to stand, and he, he preached, and he preached again this most excellent sermon. Not a different excellent sermon, the same excellent sermon. And people are sitting out in the crowd as you are today, and they're going, hmm, maybe he thought it was so good, he'd just go for round two. And so as he was preaching this most excellent sermon, when he gets finished, uh, slightly bewildered, but people going, okay, um, that was still really good. And as they're leaving, they say to him, hey, man, that was even better the second time. Thank you so much for preaching this two weeks in a row. Week three comes. They sit down just like you are. He gets up to preach again this most excellent sermon. But this time, as people are hearing this most excellent sermon, they can kind of preach it along with him, right? They know all the points. They've written it all down. And so as they leave that day, they said, all right, what's going on? I mean, you preached this most excellent sermon three weeks in a row, and we appreciate this most excellent sermon, but are you now getting lazy on us? Are you not preparing? Do you have too much on your plate? What do we need to do? And he's like, oh, you want me to stop preaching this most excellent sermon? And they're like, well, it would be nice if we could move on to something else. And he says, well, we can move on to something else when you start living out this most excellent sermon. And I think that's kind of how we feel when we get to Galatians. You hear where Paul is writing this letter and, and, and we're reading it and, and we're talking about grace every week. We've been talking about the flesh. Uh, we've been talking about the law. And you go, a lot of this sounds familiar. And believe me, when, when I'm studying during the week and, and, and when I'm preaching, I'm going, this sounds familiar. Like we've, we've been here, we're going over this, but there's a point to it. And that's why we study through books of the Bible is so that you get a great understanding of what it means and what the author is trying to get across. So I want to remind you that the author writing is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He is preaching this message as he is writing this letter. And we are most privileged here 2000 years later to spend a Sunday morning when we could do many other things and we would not be filled with joy doing that, but we can be filled with joy coming here and discussing this letter. And so as we are in uh, chapter five, starting in verse 16, uh, again, the title today is Walk by the Spirit. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we were looking at freedom in Christ. And now we are talking about walking by the Spirit. But in order for us to truly walk by the Spirit, or to walk in the Spirit, or to be led by the Spirit, or guided by the Spirit, you need to understand why you need the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to focus more on the flesh and those works of the flesh, because all summer long we focused on the Spirit. We focused on the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's good for you to go back to and, and listen to some of those as it complements today's Message And when we finished last week, here's where we finished verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 
Um, one of my favorite stories to tell, and if you've been here a long time, you've heard me tell this story several times, but I'm going to tell it again today because I can. And so uh, it's a d- during Halloween time in, in, in middle school. Every year, I'd invite my friends to come over on Halloween night. And I lived in a small town of Byron, uh, one stoplight, two Waffle Houses, because that's what we do. All right. And so as we're there, we, we go down Main Street and there's uh, booths set out everywhere. And we're kind of teenagers now, um, trick-or-treating, which is probably too old to be doing that, right? Um, some would say that's a little lame. So we, we didn't get a lot of candy as the little kids did, but that was okay. We just enjoyed going down Main Street. It was very lively. I loved growing up in a small town. I loved it. And so uh, having my buddies over at the house, we would eat pizza and Doritos because that's a great combination with Dr. Pepper. And then we would stay up late and we would watch old school horror movies um, before like zombie movies were cool again. Like we watched the oldest versions of those. And there was one where they walked around and all they said was brains, brains. And they would chase people. Um, and I never figured out how they caught up because the zombies would walk and the people would run, but it's a movie, right? And so um, in the middle of the night, all my buddies, we, we, we laid out our sleeping bags on the living room floor and, and we're all asleep. And I turn over this way and I open up my eyes and at 1 a.m. and my buddy Josh looks at me and goes, brains, brains. And I'm like, dude, you're freaking me out at this moment. But there's this picture of people devouring other people, chasing them down. And you go, that's disgusting, that's demented, that's warped, that's weird. And yet many people, I don't know, spend Sunday nights watching Walking Dead. I I don't know. But you turn to this passage and that's what's happening. He left us with a people who are devouring one another. He says, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be like a horror film. You're going to be attacking one another And your greatest problem isn't outside of this church. Your greatest problem is inside the church. And so we admitted that last week. Our greatest struggles are within the church, not outside of the church. And we do have a real enemy, that being Satan. And he wants to destroy this place just like every other local church because we reflect Jesus. But when we're not reflecting Jesus, he's like, hands off, let the flesh take over, have at it. And sadly, that's what happens many times. The church meets together and is organized, but it's, it's governed and led by the flesh instead of the spirit. And this can happen easily before you check out today and say, that, that doesn't really apply to me. It happens with, with the attitude in which you show up on Sunday mornings. Um, did, did you come today? Did you Before you left, did you pray and did you say, Lord, would you really stir in my heart affections for Jesus? Today, will you teach me something new and afresh that I may take it to the world and share the good news? Will you continue to grow and shape me? Or or did you just barely get here today? And and I'm just going to say I'm glad you're here regardless. But when you went to teach your class today, did you do so fully relying on the spirit and that the spirit would lead as you taught or you're going, I'm pretty good at this. I'm a good teacher. I've got this. Did you do it in your own strength today? When you're leading kids and and you're in the nursery with those kids, do those kids bother you? And do you go, oh, I'm looking at the time. 
Brian preaches too long, and although I would agree on that at times, but you're, you're going, when, when will they be finished so we can be done with these kids instead of looking at it as an opportunity to minister to these little ones? See, we do many things in the flesh. We operate in many ways in the flesh, but what happens is we continue to be governed by the flesh. We start to attack one another, and we're going to figure out why that is today. So three main points, and I'm going to ask a lot of questions today. So you're going to, you're going to kind of get maybe confused with what are the points? What are these questions? How does it all work? So let me just tell you the points up front so that when we get to them, you'll go, okay, yeah, that's point number one, number two, and number three. And then here are these questions as we probe into what is the flesh. So we have a command and a promise. Number two, we have a war within, that is the flesh versus the spirit. And then number three, we have a victory that is sure. So let's dig in together, shall we? Um, number one, we have a command and a promise. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So here is the command, walk by the spirit. That is not something that we have a choice in if we are to live for God and glorify him. If we are to um, escape the, the pressures of the flesh, we must live by the spirit. That is a command. We have commands all throughout the Bible. We are to embrace these commands. We're to hide these commands in our hearts so that we may not sin against God. Now, with that command comes a beautiful promise. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And to that we say, amen, because our flesh is nasty. Our flesh is wicked. Our flesh does not have good motives. And you go, wow, that's very graphic to explain the flesh. And, and it is graphic. It is destructive. But you know what? You don't have to live by it. So Paul is writing by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is a promise from God as we read this today, because as we see in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as we are reading the words here on these pages in Galatians, it's God breathe. It's God inspired. It's not Paul's opinion. Paul's not saying, hey, let me just kind of give you some insight here. No, the Holy Spirit is leading him to write. So what God is telling us through Paul's writings to the Galatians is this. You don't want to live out of flesh? Walk in the Holy Spirit. So this command deals directly with our sinful rationalizations, demolishing them before we present our argument. You say, what are sinful rationalizations? It's when you sit there and you begin to ponder, should I or should I not do this? Should I or should I not think these things in my mind? And you begin to rationalize sin, whether it's good or not to embrace sin. Every time it is wrong, but we find ourselves in the flesh rationalizing. Should I just blow a gasket here and should I get angry? I'm going to do it. I'm just going to light into him. Here it goes. Or should I entertain these thoughts that I know are not pleasing to the Lord? But you know what? I'm not getting the attention that I want um, around here. And you know what? So I'm just going to have my own little fantasy in my mind. Shut everybody else out. Here we go. And you begin to rationalize your sin. So 
See, here's the struggle with that because we would say something like this. What happened in Las Vegas last weekend where one man, and if there's others, I'm, I'm not getting into all the theories, but one man, um, and, and you're seeking out a motive of why people at a concert, I mean, at a Jason Aldean concert, which I don't get why you would really go to a Jason Aldean concert. I mean, Clint does, because that's his favorite artist, all right? But, uh, but they're there, they're having a good time, and then all of a sudden, bullets are flying. Like, you, I guarantee you, they didn't arrive there expecting that. And we looked at that person, we go, that person's demented, that person is sick. And you know what? Yeah, something deeply wrong with a, a person who would do that. You go, I'm nowhere near a person like that. But you are. You are. You are capable of not only doing something like that, you are capable of doing much worse. You are and I am. And you say, Brian, that offends me that you would say that. Well, you get offended too easy. Uh, but here's the thing is that it's true. It's true. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we have a war within. And it's a flesh versus spirit. And if we cater to the flesh and we rationalize our sin, we will commit greater acts of sin down the road. You may say that you'll never have an affair, that you would never do that. But then all of a sudden you have an affair on your spouse. And you explain it this way. You say, you know what? It happened so fast. I wasn't expecting it. I got caught up in the moment. And the truth is, yeah, you did get caught up in that moment, but it didn't happen so fast. It was probably years in the making because it was all here and it was all here and you just rationalized it. You said, it's okay. You made excuses for why you could hide those things in your heart and in your mind. And so then it led to greater sin. And that was all by the flesh. You were empowered by the flesh. You weren't empowered by the Holy Spirit, not in that moment. And we could say that about many different sins. That's just one illustration. But the second point we see is that we have a war within. It is flesh versus spirit. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And Paul is writing to the Galatians and he's saying, don't live by the flesh because if you do, you're going to be opposed to God. And if you're opposed to God and you're gathering because you're God's children, you're going to be opposed to each other. Your greatest conflicts come from within you. From within you. And so we see it like two wolves. If you own two wolves, one, that would be pretty cool. If you own two wolves, I hope you would keep them secure, all right, not let them wander around the neighborhood. But if you had two wolves and you go to the backyard and you feed one wolf more than you do the other, and then they fight, who is going to win that battle? The one that you continue to feed, the one that you continue to nurture, the one that you continue to care for, that wolf is going to overcome the weaker wolf. And that's how it is inside of us. We have the spirit and we have the flesh. Now, let me be crystal clear on where this illustration breaks down. The spirit is not weaker than the flesh, but the spirit 
in order to be enacted, in order to work, we are to trust and call upon the name of Jesus every day. We are to rely upon God's grace. So the spirit is enacted in our lives and working among us so that we will not gratify the flesh. But if we only care for the flesh, then the flesh will rule in us as, as Christians. As Christians, you can be ruled by the flesh. You can carry the title Christ follower, being a child of God. You can read your Bible. You can pray. Great things, great things to do daily. And I hope you're doing daily. But listen, you will be controlled by the flesh, which means that when you meet temptation, you're easily going to give into it. You're easily going to give into it. And you're going to say things like this. How could I? Well, how could you not? How could you not sin? Like, don't fool yourselves into thinking that you're beyond sinning because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. No, how could you not sin? You, I don't want to get ahead here, but you naturally do it. Okay, so here we go. The flesh, let's break it down. What is it? What is the flesh? Just so we're all clear. And today I said, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I'm going to come back with some statements here because I want us to be clear as a church on what is the flesh. The flesh carries with it desires that are anti-God, but pro-self. That's the flesh. Anti-God, pro-self, which means it's pro-sin. It's, it is worldly. It's gratifying or walking in the flesh and going against God. That is what we're talking about. When, when we say the flesh, what is it? Desires that are anti-God, but pro-self. Now, the next question you may ask, do I have one of these? Do I have a flesh? And the answer is yes. Just as you have physical flesh and bones, you also have a fleshly nature. So the answer is yes. For everyone in this room, you have a flesh. Then you may ask this question, well, what does it look like in me? Does the flesh in you look like the flesh that is in me? And that is a very good question. But here's the answer. Your flesh is your original self. It's the original you the original you. It's you without the saving grace of God upon your life. That's the flesh. Now, here's where we can go with that. You say, hey, but still in the flesh, can't you do good things for other people? You can. You actually can. In the flesh, you can do good things for other people. But at the root of it, the reason it is of the flesh is because it's, it's for you. It's ultimately for you. Like you, you want to please somebody else for the benefit of you. You want other people to like you. You want to love people and have them close because you don't want to be alone. It's all flesh. It, it's it's anti-God in the sense that it's, God's nowhere in the picture for how you're kind and considerate to other people. That's fleshly living. It is true, church, that everything we do is to be for the glory of God. Everything. That's how we ought to strive to live our life. So what does it look like in me? It's your original self. I, I'll just give you testimony about me. And, and I kind of know some of you in this room. I know what your original self is. I knew some of you before you were walking in Christ. And so I can tell you what your original self is. But my original self, highly competitive, highly competitive, hating to lose, uh, jealous, jealous for his own name. I love my name being called out. I love that growing up. Oh man, those things were thrill. Anger, 
Man, I would get angry like that. And I mean, I still battle with this off and on, but not as I used to. Oh, I would fail, anger would set in. And I don't care what I look like to other people. In that moment, I rationalized why it was okay. That's my original self. That's, that's the things I still battle with. And you have your own. But we have a list here in 18 through 21. I won't read through this list again, but if you look through it, this, these are just examples. Because then he says, and things like these. So this, that's not confined to these things that are mentioned in 19 and 20. But these are works of the flesh. And he says, and I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I know when you read that verse, you go, uh-oh, <laughs> what does that mean? And we'll come back to it. If I forget it, you remind me, okay? Here we go. Here's the question. Where did this flesh come from? If we all have this flesh, then where did it come from? You were born into it. In fact, you were born with it. This flesh has been with you as long as you've been breathing on this earth. Which means that, and, and what you're hearing me say, is that you were not born innocent. And you were not born with a goodness about you until you committed your first sin. I know that thought is very common among the church. It's just not common in the Bible. <laughs> you don't become a sinner when you commit your first sin you sin because you're a sinner. You're in the flesh. So you were born with this. And I know we hold our babies and, and we hold each other's babies and we go, oh, they are beautiful and they are sweet. And because they are, I mean, just wonderful creations of God. But stirring within them is this flesh. It's there. And it's a me-centered life. And you say, well, they should be because we have to take care of them. I mean, they get that what? Natural? Yeah, because it's natural. And so we're born with this flesh. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the reality that everybody who is born on this earth is born in the flesh. Jesus was not. He's the second Adam. He didn't come from the first Adam, but all of us come from the first Adam. We are born in the flesh. Everybody in the world needs to hear the gospel. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe, we need to go and tell them about Jesus. Why? Because they're not innocent. They're not innocent. So what does this mean? It means we naturally gratify the flesh. So if you get frustrated with yourself this week, or you've gotten frustrated with yourself this past week because you find yourself gratifying certain sins and you were frustrated about it, remind yourself that is natural. It's not an excuse to continue sinning, Christian, but you get it naturally. Your natural default in every decision is fleshly. 
Every decision, everything you do is of the flesh if you are not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a me first mindset. That's what sin does. That's what we looked at last week. And we were also reminded of that last Sunday night at the parenting conference, that sin draws us inwardly to look at self. We live our lives like this. All eyes are on me. Do you walk into a restaurant and think everybody's looking at you at that moment when you walk in? Did you walk into this room today and think that all eyes were on you? When you're at school and you walk through the hallway, do you think everybody is noticing you? That's fleshly. And I guarantee you the answer to that question overwhelmingly in this room, if we're honest, is yes. I think people notice me. I think people like me. I think people think I'm a big deal. It's fleshly. That's what sin does. It draws all attention to you. So we naturally gratify the flesh. So all decisions, everything that we do is through that vein, the flesh. But here's the other thing. We continue to battle with the flesh as Christians. We continue to battle with the flesh. Now, you may struggle with this and you may struggle with your salvation and, and you're, you may think, okay, did I pray everything the right way? Did I say all the right words? Did I get it in order because I still struggle with sin? Well, why is Paul writing to a group of Christians and telling them to live by the spirit or they'll gratify the desires of their sinful nature? Because as Christians, you will gratify the desires of your sinful nature if you do not live by the spirit. And so the false teaching out there that when you become a follower of Jesus, that you don't sin anymore is demolished right here. You continue to sin. You continue to face challenges every day. I've been around people uh, who have said, I haven't sinned since I became a follower of Christ. And I was like, well, actually you just did. You lied. All right. So there you go. Sinner, right? We do. We sin, but there are people, and you may think that today. You may think that you stopped sinning when you repented to follow Christ. And then when you do sin, you're going, how could he love me? And how could he save me if I was just going to continue to trample on the blood, but continuing to sin? You're going to sin. It's the willful sin that we dealt with last week. It's the planning to sin that we dealt with last week in that passage. And so... We continue to battle with the flesh. So what are we going to do? What are you going to do about your flesh? What are you going to do about your flesh today? That stuff that you deal with, that sin that you continue to face, that you thought would be long gone by now, what are you going to do about that sin this week? Are you going to operate out of the flesh and just go commit it all the more? Well, you hear this today, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and say, you know what? Living by the Spirit, I will not be defeated by the flesh. Because listen, here's the next thing. We alone cannot defeat the flesh, but through the Spirit, we can. You're not going to defeat this by rationalizing in your mind. So let me give you a real example here. When you're sitting there and you're tempted, and you're saying, should I do this? Stop thinking about it and go to the Lord in prayer. And the minute, in the moment that you are tempted to cheat, to lie, to lust, to steal, whatever it may be, in that moment, and you're trying to rationalize why you should do that, call upon the name of Jesus. Call upon the name of Jesus. And what will happen as a follower of Christ Jesus? 
that temptation will be demolished. I firmly believe that. I've seen it happen in my life. You've seen it happen in your life. The problem is in the flesh, we don't want to call upon the name of Jesus in that moment. We would rather try to do it on our own. And the majority of the time we lose. We lose, don't we? Can I get some head nods around the room? The majority of the time we lose on that. And guess what? That's not going to change. As times are changing, that doesn't change. And so we alone cannot defeat the flesh, but through the spirit we can. Clint did a most excellent job the other night when we were going through the Baptist faith, the message uh, on Wednesday. And he thought, he taught through um, the article uh, of God, the Holy Spirit. I would love for you to come on Wednesday nights. If, if you find yourself right now, just kind of in a pattern where you're at home on Wednesday nights, or you're thinking we've got a lot going on. Listen, I, I get it too. Okay. We live that life as well. And you're saying you're a pastor, you're supposed to be here. And, and I, I get that. Okay. That's not very nice that you say that, but it's true. Right. Okay. But here's the deal. Like, I'd love for you to come. And those who are coming, we have had such a good time looking at these articles on, and why we are Baptists. But here's what it says. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. He inspired holy men of old to write the scriptures. Through illumination, he enables men to understand the truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and affects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, he baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. He cultivates the Christian character, comforts believers, and bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through his church. He seals the believer until the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and service. And so if you want to look at that further this week, you can go to Baptist Faith and Message 2000, type that in, comes up, and you can read through that once again, read through the scripture passages. But I think it's a great breakdown of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to point out something here is that at the moment of regeneration, he baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. There's a teaching out there that um, you can be saved and then later you're baptized into the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've fallen into that. Maybe you even say that as your testimony. Um, I was saved, but later I received a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. And where that comes from is in Acts when uh, the apostles, the disciples, when they receive the Holy Spirit and they go, see, we can point there, we've received that Holy Spirit, kind of the second feeling of the Holy Spirit, kind of a, a next level Christianity. That's not true. They had Jesus with them. But when Jesus left, he was sending them the Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of them in the same way that when you are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit and you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in you. You're baptized by the Holy Spirit at salvation. There's not a second filling of the Holy Spirit. There's not some level, spiritual level. Have you been baptized in the fire of the Holy Spirit? Yes, salvation. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. And that's it. I want to just point that out because we, we tend to think that we got to do more. We got to rise to higher levels of spirituality when God gives you everything you need through his grace at salvation. 
to defeat sin. Live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so with this, who are you without the Spirit? Who are you without the Spirit? You are sinners controlled by the flesh. That's who you are without the Spirit. Sinners controlled by the flesh. Romans 7, 15 through 20. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to, but I do the very thing I hate. Sound familiar? Do the very thing I hate. Verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law, with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do, I, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And this is Paul explaining things that happen in his life and in the life of every believer as they deal with the flesh and the spirit. You do things at times that you really don't want to do. Like you really have a desire to not keep on sinning in that area, but you do it and you become disgusted with yourself. Just like Paul right here becomes disgusted with himself. I do these things. I don't want to do them. Why do I do it? Because in my flesh, if I'm operating in the flesh, there's nothing good in my flesh. Nothing at all. And may I just put a side note in here? How dangerous it is for us as ambassadors of Christ Jesus that when we meet pleasant, nice, polite people, we go, oh, they gotta have Jesus. You know what? Yeah, they have Jesus. There's no, there's no need to even share Jesus with them. And we walk away thinking they're good because they had a pleasant smile they were kind, and they seemed Christian. When behind all of that could be this flesh, this monster that is raging in a works righteousness that leads to hell. No one is off limits when we share the gospel. Hear the gospel spoken from them May they point to Jesus Christ as the savior of their life and the only reason that they can have a relationship with God. And may they glory in being filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can please God. Because Paul is saying, in the flesh, we're gonna do things that we hate. So that's who we are without the Spirit. So without even the Holy Spirit, you're just sinners controlled by the flesh, ongoing, nothing good in us. But who are you in the Spirit? Who are we? So if we have the Spirit, then who are we? Just a sinner saved by grace? Is that all that we are? Because we say, hey, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. When in actuality, that's only the half truth of the good news. You're not just a sinner saved by grace. And yes, I am a sinner saved by grace, but I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. You are a sinner hopefully saved by grace if you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not just a sinner saved by grace. That's only half of the good news. The other part of it is that you are also a saint empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're a saint. And you go, oh, I'm a saint. Thank God I get a robe. Thank God I get a crown or something, right? After all, that's what St. Peter 
pictures I see of St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Paul's Cathedral. You walk in and you go, wow, how magnificent. And we hear the word saint and we think, oh, that, that's the extra spiritual. That's the most spiritual, the most godly. No, saints are those who've been redeemed by Christ Jesus. And in the actual reality, we have no business carrying that title, but it's because of Jesus that we have it. And so you're not just a sinner, you are a saint. And here's what Jerry Bridges says when, in regards to how we misunderstand the word saint. He says, saint is one of the most widely misunderstood words in our Christian vocabulary. At some point in church history, people began to call the original apostles saints, contrary to the plain meaning of the word as used in the New Testament. So now we hear of St. Paul, St. Peter, St. Andrew, and the like. In the Roman Catholic tradition, people of unusual achievement are sometimes designated as saints. Among evangelicals, we often think of saints as exceptionally godly and holy people. That can be further from the truth. You are a saint because of the good work of Jesus Christ. That's how you carry the title saint. And so when you say, I'm just a sinner, no, you are a sinner, but you are also gifted with the Holy Spirit. So with the Holy Spirit, you become a conqueror over that flesh. Through the Holy Spirit, you become a conqueror over the flesh that draws you inwardly and causes us to devour and bite at one another and have controversy among one another and forget that there's a lost and dying world out there that needs to hear Jesus. When we're in the flesh, we don't care about that. All we care about are the mundane things. We think about the things that are only in our lives or the things that come in conflict with us. But when we live by the Holy Spirit, we become more than conquerors. And we become aware of what's around us and the calling that we have before us. Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not just conquerors. I was wrong in saying that, right? We're more than conquerors. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's your confidence right there. Nothing is going to separate you from the love of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are forever God's possession. Forever. There's your confidence. Now you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and defeat this flesh. And because we continue to battle with it, guess what? It's present today. There are going to be battles today. And if God gives you a tomorrow, which I think we ought to be reminded of, God doesn't guarantee us a tomorrow. So if there's tomorrow, glory be to God. He gave us that day. It's all about him. And so when you go about that day, there are more battles. But I was thinking about the Holy Spirit. We are sinners saved by grace and we are saints empowered by the Holy Spirit. So then we ask this question, are you living by your own works or are you living by the fruit of the Spirit? What's your life look like right now? When I ask that question, I'm not talking about a longevity here. I'm not talking about a long time. I'm talking about right now. Are you living by your own works or are you living by the fruit of the Spirit? Isn't it interesting when he mentions the works or he mentions the flesh, he mentions the works of the flesh. He doesn't mention the fruit of the flesh, the works of the flesh, meaning works equals the natural. That's the natural in us. 
It's coming from you, the one whom you really are without the Holy Spirit. Romans 7, 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's the works. That's the natural. And those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom. Remember we read that and you hear that and you go, okay, so because I commit this certain sin, does that mean now I can't inherit the kingdom? These who continue to go in this direction, who hear the gospel and put the gospel aside and keep living in the flesh, they will not inherit the kingdom. So one commentary says, um, for who is there who does not labor under one or other of these sins? Paul does not threaten that there shall be excluded from the kingdom of God all who have sinned, but all who remain impenitent. The saints themselves are heavily burdened, but they return to the way because they do not surrender. They are not included in this catalog. All the threatenings of God's judgments call us to repentance for which pardon is always ready with God. But if we continue obstinate, they will be a testimony against us. So when you are convicted of your sin, this is what it means. You turn back to God. You turn back to God. Your testimony looks like this. I've wandered, but I have not strayed away. I've wandered, but I've come back. I've come back and I've come back. There's been some ups and downs. Man, there's been some lows in this walk with Christ and there's been some highs, but I am still in Christ. That's the reality here in this passage. But if you maybe were a part of the church or you know somebody a part of the church and they are no longer want anything to do with the church or with Jesus and they blaspheme against the Lord, then what are they proving? That they never really had the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit equals the supernatural. It is the work of God. So are you in the work or are you in the fruit? What are you producing? And so finally, I want you to know that we have a victory that is sure. Because you're going to hear this and you're going to, man, I was hoping that you would say that I could leave this place and just not struggle with sin anymore. Like, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great to live in a world where sin doesn't exist? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That you wouldn't have conflict in marriage. And I know that there's no conflict in marriage here. I mean, it's crazy talk, right? That I would even mention that or conflict in relationships. But yes, we know that's the reality. And, and you say, wouldn't it be just great if I didn't struggle with this self-image that I have? Or if I didn't struggle with this addiction? Oh, I would love just to live in a world like that. One day you will. If you follow Jesus, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and sin will not reign. And we will not be talking about walking in the spirit. So you will not gratify the flesh because the flesh will be done away with. We have a victory that is sure. Again, Paul says, but I say walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I, I tell you that about the future because that should bring you confidence every day when you face the current struggles. When you face your current struggles, that should bring you confidence of what is to come. Your forever, your forever life will be without sin. Your temporary life has sin. It's a struggle. 
but we have the Holy Spirit. How good is that? How gracious and kind is that, that God gives us the spirit to defeat this flesh? Verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what do we take from that? If we don't live by the spirit and we don't keep in step with the spirit, what are we going to do? Become conceited, thinking more of ourselves than we should, provoking one another, testing one another, and envying one another, wanting the other person's life. Meaning that every few years, you're going to think you need the next and greatest thing. Meaning that when you go home today, you're not satisfied with where you live. It's not a home to you because you want a bigger house. And you think that if you have a bigger house, then that will become a home. You can't be more wrong. That's fleshly thinking. Meaning that uh, when you look at your current job and you think, if I just had a better job, then I would live a better life. And you know, there are some exceptions on that, depending upon what you may be doing for a job. But when you look at the ordinary jobs that we're out and about doing, and we all have different jobs, I mean, we do that for the glory of God. We, we could go on and on and on with this. But we're going to become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another if we don't keep in step with the Spirit. So we see this in in four ways. We see it, uh, as Paul mentions it in verse 16, to walk in the Spirit. Verse 18, to be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, to live by the Spirit. And verse 25, again, to keep in step with the Spirit. Each of these verbs suggests a relationship of dynamic interaction, direction, and purpose. And so... I love what Timothy George says about this. He says, no Christians are so spiritually strong or mature that they need not heed his warning, but neither are any so weak or vacillating that they cannot be free from the tyranny of the flesh through the power of the spirit. Neither are you so spiritually strong, but neither are you so weak. What a great balance and relying on the Holy Spirit every day. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Here is our comfort. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the Spirit has come to set you free. Freedom in Christ is meaning that sin does not have to reign in us anymore, but Christ reigns in us. Is Christ Jesus reigning in you? Are you walking in the spirit today? No matter what your circumstance, are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? I hope you are. And here is the final encouragement. That the return of Christ will be the ultimate death blow to our flesh. When Christ comes again, the ultimate death blow to our flesh. So here's what we're gonna do this week. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're gonna strive to live by the Holy Spirit so that we can be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And we are aware that we have a command and a promise that if we live by the Holy Spirit, we don't have to gratify those sinful desires. But we also understand the reality that we have a war within and it's a flesh first spirit and we are gonna feed the spirit. We are gonna work in the spirit doing things for the glory of God. This fruit will be produced as we read the word and consume it, as we pray, as we share, as we encourage one another, we will grow in the power of the Holy Spirit this week. And understanding this, that we have a victory that is sure. So even in temporary failures, you can take encouragement because the ultimate victory is ahead.
Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. And Lord, what encouragement from your word. God, we ought to receive this and go out walking in victory. We, we, we don't receive this and go out hanging our heads, Lord. But we go out with our eyes looking to Jesus, our chin up. And so, Father, thank you that we can be encouraged and that we can be reminded of this once again. And Father, I do pray for those in this room that do not know you. They don't, they don't call you Father. They don't know Jesus. They're not trusting in what Christ Jesus did for them on the cross. Lord, today, through what they've heard, may they look to Jesus. We thank you that Christ lived for us on this earth and that he died for us on the cross that we as your children could put all of our hope in his life and death and then his resurrection and his return. So Father, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know Jesus today, would you draw them to yourself? Save them today. May they have true repentance leading to a freedom, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ Jesus for your glory. I pray for the church, Lord. I pray for this local church where we struggle, maybe real sins, real thoughts have come into our minds today as we've gone through this message that need to be dealt with. Lord, may we lay those down before you. We may submit them to you and just hold to the promise that if we follow the command to live by the Spirit, that we will not gratify these things. So Father, may we be active in our faith, a real living active faith. God, will you work in this right now? In Jesus' name, amen.